You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. As we come to this second Sunday of Advent, we are in the midst of a sermon series on the 40th chapter of Isaiah called Reset. For what Advent gives us the opportunity to do every single year is to begin the liturgical year with the retelling of the story of the beginning of the gospel as we know it uh, in the person of, of Jesus Christ. It allows us to kind of push that reset button and, and to, to rehearse, to, to hear again, to reorient ourselves around that story because it shapes the, the rest of our year. It shapes our entire life. And all four Gospels, uh, at some point toward the beginning of those Gospels, allude to the 40th chapter of Isaiah in the context of speaking of the the ministry of of John the Baptist. Uh, Mark is perhaps the most poignant when he says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, John appeared in the wilderness, uh, and uh, this, this voice um, is, is shouting the good news of, of anticipation of, of one who is coming. So the voice in the wilderness proclaims that good news. And last week, George spoke of the way in which we realign ourselves around this story of grace. It is an invitation to, to reconnect with the big truth of God's grace, the God who comes to us proclaiming comfort, the God who comes to us in consolation to, to come alongside and to, to be with us in the person of Jesus. And, and this week, as we continue to look at the the deprivation and the devastation of that period of exile which Isaiah 40 addresses itself to. We look at what does it mean or, or how can we even begin to think about what it means to rebuild in, in light of, of that devastation. And so I want to turn our attention to the 40th chapter of Isaiah verses 6 through 11. And actually, if you look closely at that text, it is a dialogue. And uh, I have, that's why we've got the screen down. And I'm going to ask us to read that text in dialogue. So would you stand, please, and let's bring the text up on the screen. And you can put all your Bibles away. You can, it's all right there. Um, so you can keep them open for later if you want to. But, uh, so let's, let's together read this text, Isaiah 40, uh, verses 6 through 11. A voice says, cry out. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, take us into our own experience of this dialogue. 
where you invite us to be a prophetic people participating with you in this message of hope, where we come back and acknowledge the difficulty of doing so, but where you invite us once again. Help us to hear this word. Help us to be reflectors of the hope of this word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was working through this passage, one of the things that that came to me was an experience of five years ago when my family and I, uh, in the wake of the Hurricane Katrina, took uh, ourselves uh, during the the fourth week of Advent uh, and went to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, on one of UPC's shoulder-to-shoulder mission projects. While we were there, um, even though it was several months after and five years after, you can still see lots of that destruction. But while we were there, we, of course, were taken with the the destruction of that place. And it reminded me this week as I read Isaiah 40 of the kind of destruction that the people of of, uh, Judah were experiencing as they looked at the the temple destroyed, the walls destroyed, the, the city of Jerusalem so inactive and so silent in the wake of the Babylonian invasion. But in Bay St. Louis, uh, Hurricane Katrina just was wreaked amazing havoc on, on that, the Gulf Coast. Um, we were taken especially with the way in which what was once in places was no more. And then if you went a few miles inland where there was nothing, there were now great mounds of things that the storm surge had carried in. The very things that it had swept off of the coast were in many cases pushed inland and and left in these great garbage heaps um, in the wake of the storm. Some of the most poignant images were the images of concrete steps that once led to front porches that were no longer there. Indeed, no longer were the front porches there, but neither was the house. And so it looked like these bizarre pedestals that were just out in the middle of nowhere, inviting welcome into a place that no longer existed. But probably the most poignant image was um, of one particular house that was on the, the, the coastline road that went through Bay St. Louis. And in this particular case, uh, in the, the foreground, there was a, a van, an old white 1970s vintage van. It might have been newer than that, but it looked like it was 1970s vintage. But it it was a white van, and and it was buried halfway in in mud and kind of uh, a little bit off kilter on its side in what looked like a ditch. The roof of it had been caved in, and on the side of it, um, there was a message uh, that was that was sprayed. Uh, and I'll tell you that in just a minute. But behind it, what we could see was the, the foundation of the home that, that once stood there. And, and what you see in, in many of those foundations is that those houses were built on these, these concrete, reinforced concrete pillars or stilts to, because they expected uh, storms and, and uh, floods. And so the house was raised up off and uh, the, the basement, uh, you know, was, was in those cases expendable. But in this particular case, all that remained of the house were those, those concrete pillars. Uh, like a memorial to to what was once there. And so this van sitting in front, the pillars behind, and on the van there was this message. Spray-painted in black paint, it said, Please don't loot. It's all we have left. God bless. Well, it, it, it does bring a chuckle 
to a, our, our lips because here we are staring at a, at a van that is destroyed and not drivable again, a house that, that will never be rebuilt to what it was. And there's that message. Please don't loot. It's all we have left. What's left? The shards of pottery that are just under the surface of the sand? What's left? The, the, the torn up uh, frayed draperies or, or pieces of clothing that, that now kind of cling wretchedly to leafless trees? What's left? Well, there was nothing left from our, uh, by our eyes, but yet there was some kind of weird invitation in, in that, that message written on the van. It's a strange message. It's all we have left. It's a message that sort of said, respect this place. This is an important place to us, and it looks like there's nothing left, but there's, there's still something here. There's still something here, so could you, could you look for it with us? Could you see maybe a bit of what we see? Could you live in hope that, that maybe we'll, we'll live here again? So please don't loot. Please don't take anything. It's all we have left. But there's still something there. It's the message that really Isaiah gives us in the 40th chapter of Isaiah as well. Because to any other observer, Jerusalem looked a lot like what no doubt the residents of that home felt like their home looked like. In the wake of the Babylonian invasion with walls torn down, a temple destroyed, a people hauled off into exile, it's not a stretch to say there's nothing left. And yet... That voice from the wilderness cries to the prophet and says, cry out. Cry out really doesn't do it in the way of the translation of what's going on in this passage because really what the voice is asking the prophet to do is to preach. So the voice says, preach. And is it any wonder that the the word that comes back from the people or from the prophet who are being told to preach is a word that says essentially, preach what? Preach what? What's left to preach? All flesh is grass. All all people are grass. Uh, and, And they're constantly like the flower of the field. Life is ephemeral. Life is short. Life is hard and then you die. What's left to preach but that? What was clear in the wake of the Babylonian havoc, Babylonian havoc that was wreaked upon Israel was uncertainty and, and the, the transitory side of life. That's what was clear, that, that nothing was certain. And so the question that was being asked at that time is what can be trusted? Because the things that we thought were the moorings that we'd always be able to tie up to, well, they're not here anymore. So what's left to preach? Interesting thing, too, about that word constancy. Their constancy is like the flower of the field, that all people's constancy is like the flower of the field. That, that word constancy in Hebrew is a word that usually appears in association in, in a context with, with God, that God is constant, that it's the word chesed, and it, it means steadfast love in most of the places that it's used. 
It means the, the constancy of God's presence. But here it's used very differently. It's used to, to speak of the inconstancy of, of life. It's used in the negative sense that, that the constancy of human life is like the flower of the field. It's like the grass that withers. The only thing that seemed certain at this point to those people was that the breath of God had been present long enough to singe the grass. Well, the implications of, of this kind of trauma, when, when we go through something that, that leads us into this place where we're questioning everything that we thought was certain, the implications of, of this kind of trauma uh, have a profound impact on what happens to our faith. On the one hand, if we've never had faith, then, then maybe this kind of trauma just is proof for a reason why we haven't had it. Well, there you go. There is no God. If there was a loving, powerful God, this wouldn't have happened. So it just corroborates what I've always believed, that if I'm an unbeliever, that, that there's no reason to believe. But the harder place to be in the wake of this kind of trauma is what, what happens if we do believe? And what happens in the wake of the trauma to that belief and the way that we imagine who God is? Because in those moments, what we know is a lot more about who God isn't. Because who we thought he was has been called into question. And so it's a hard place to be when all that we thought about God is called into question because who God seems to be is not necessarily who we thought he was and not who we want him to be. And God may still be working, we say to ourselves, but we're not sure whether or not we want to trust him because, you see, the breath of this God has the power to singe and dry up the grass and to snuff out our fragile lives. So what's left to preach? And how do we talk about this God? What do we do when loss and grief deliver us into this place? Several years ago, I, I ran across a, a book by uh, Helmut Tielicke. Helmut Tielicke was a pastor in, in Stuttgart, Germany, during World War II. He continued to preach throughout the war. And this is an illustration that I've, I've used before, so if you remember it, good for you. If you don't, it's a great one. Um, they say there's comfort in repetition. Uh, so I, it just is justification of my belief that every preacher just has one sermon anyway. Um, <laughs> I had a, an intern uh, who was with me in my former church, and he at one point said to me, Dave, it's time to get out of the wilderness. And uh, I said... Now, some 20 years later, guess where I still am? <laughs> In the wilderness. But Tilika preaches this sermon, uh, a series on the Lord's Prayer, and he's preaching through that prayer. And the night, uh, or the week before that he had preached this sermon, the, the church was primarily and almost completely destroyed uh, by an Allied bombing raid. And so he was in a, a particular uh, part of the church delivering this sermon to a faithful remnant who, who came out for it. 
And, and he has this to say in this sermon called Thy Kingdom Come. He says, here we are gathered in a ruin. And here I am standing before you in my old army boots because I no longer possess the proper clothes for services. But we do not say all this in any mood of skepticism or negative resignation. On the contrary, all these experiences have a place in the message and in the sermon only because they make us turn our eyes away from the passing and the relative to that reality against which the gates of hell shall not prevail and which moth and rust cannot consume. And if we are not deceived... Our generation of death will have instilled in it by God a keener sense of what belongs to the transitory side of life and what has to do with God's eternity. Perhaps we are being given a new sense of proportion for what is relative, what are only liturgical trimmings and decorative accessories and a deeper awareness that in all these things there is hidden the rock of God which for one man is the very foundation of life and for another a stone of stumbling, but which will abide in both of these capacities until the kingdom of God has come and the kingdoms of the world have passed away. There's not much left to preach, or at least the things that we thought we could preach about. But Telica says in the midst of staring into that abyss, maybe we'll see what's really there and what abides irrespective of those bombs. Well, Isaiah really puts forward a similar answer. He says, yeah, life is grass. Life is grass. The, the, the flower, the, the grass withers and the flower fades. But... There's something that does last. There's something left. Something still remains. There's something to preach, says Isaiah. For God's covenant relationship with us has not been violated by those things. God's promise of steadfast love remains. It stands and it's not going to go away. It may not be clear how that's present with us at certain times. It may, not be, it may not have been clear to the, to the people of Judah as either they languished in Babylon or, or sat amidst the rubble in Jerusalem how that steadfast love and covenant was going to come into view. But what the prophet says, what God says to the people is look for it. Get up to the mountain and look for it. And then once you're up on that mountain, proclaim it. Become a prophetic people. Speak even from this place of devastation of the hope that is ours. Stare into the space where things you trusted used to be. And stare into that space long enough, and what comes into view is the face of God. Look not just, therefore, at what isn't, but look for what is. Because what will come into view, even as you stare into that abyss, is the God whose arm rules in might and who also gently leads us like a shepherd. A few weeks ago, uh, during the 1130 service, uh, 
I didn't hear it either, but uh, uh, since you're at 10, you didn't either. But uh, Doug Lee, uh, who is an oncologist, who's a member of, of our church, uh, spoke in the context of the, the work series. He was, was one of the witnesses that day. And, and Doug told the story um, of being a third-year resident uh, in his, his residency and, and dealing with a, uh, a particular case of, of leukemia, an odd case, but something that he told me happens periodically when uh, leukemia kind of comes together in sort of a mass and, and collects in a place and, and uh, forms itself almost like a tumor. And, and in this particular woman's case, that had happened around her spine. And so she was in enormous pain. And as he, as a, a young resident, uh, dealt with her and dealt with her excruciating pain and his inability to do anything about that to cure her or to bring her to a place of health, he thought of the, the abyss of pointless suffering. And what came to mind was a prayer. And the prayer was simply, Lord, if you're here somewhere, now would be a good time to show it. If you're here somewhere, now would be a good time to let us know that that you have shown up. Because if you can be here, if you can somehow be here in this pointless sea of death, we would sure like to know you're with us. That's the prayer I think we need to learn how to pray when we're staring into the abyss. And we need the support of one another in order to pray it. That's the stance that we need to be willing to take. And that's how we answer the prophet's invitation to join him in being a prophetic people. To look hard and long into what seems like an empty space and wait for the face of God to appear because it will. He does appear because he's been there all along and he's never gone away. On first examination, the manger of Jesus and the cross of Jesus are not places we would look and immediately say, there's the strong arm of God at work. But friends, those are the central points of our faith. The vulnerable infant of an impoverished family lying in a feed bin and the wretched writhing body of an obscure crucified carpenter. We wouldn't Think to say, behold your God, when looking at either one of those two images. They're not on first examination images of power, but I believe if we look long enough at both, we see the outstretched arms of God offering embrace and inviting us to return it. In the manger, we see the the vulnerable infant asking to be received and to be taken up. In the dying Savior, we see one who is showing us that nothing, not even death, not even betrayal, can separate us from his love. Look long enough into the emptiness and we'll see that something's left to preach.
we'll see that in God's kingdom, devastation never has the last word. Because it never has the power to separate us from his love. Let's pray. Lord, give us the vision of what sometimes fades into obscurity. Give us the vision of your certain and steadfast presence. Call us into that space where we are reminded that we have something to preach and then by your spirit direct our steps to the mountaintop where we can proclaim it. Help us to be, empower us to be a prophetic people. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.